0: And the rest of us, we are going to be taking a look this morning at uh, the Gospel of John. We're going to switch to a a new book here, a new biblical author that we haven't haven't gotten to uh, been, be in here for a little while. And John is this really fun uh, story in the Bible. There's there's four different authors that record the life of Jesus that that tell the story of. Jesus when he lived on earth, and, and John is kind of the last one of them, and and in history, John is probably one, the last of those disciples who walked with Jesus, the ones who who experienced firsthand the life of Jesus. John's probably the last one to write, and so I kind of picture him like an, an old man, right? An old man as he sees the next generation Coming in in the church, the next generation telling again the stories of Jesus, but he wants to make sure that we don't miss something. John wants to make sure that we don't miss the fact that while these stories are true and they are historical, they are meant to be living, to be lived out, to be experienced over and over again. And so when John starts his gospel, when John processes the words of Jesus, he doesn't just process them as a thing that happened in the past, but a thing that has been going on since the very creation of earth, a thing that is meant to make you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you would have life. That you, here, who never saw Jesus, would have life in his name. So if you would, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Starting the first chapter and the first verse, you'll find it printed there in your bulletin. Let's read together. Or I'll read and you can read silently, just for a clarity's sake. There, John 1. In the beginning was the word... For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me in prayer. Lord God, you have made yourself known. From the the earliest moments of creation to this very day, Lord, you have been revealing yourself. But perhaps in no other way have we seen you as we see you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we read and as we reflect on the observations of John, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would allow us to see you as you really are. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I assume that most of you have seen uh, the earth-shattering news that Stranger Things third season has come out. Uh, If you're not familiar, Stranger Things is a show that is on Netflix, and um, it it is probably the most popular show. And so this last week, I have been, uh, I've probably had six different conversations with people about this phenomenon, right? And in particularly, people who haven't watched it, right? And, and you've experienced this when you haven't seen a show or a movie or, or something uh, that, that you, you're talking with someone, and you're like, oh, I haven't, I haven't actually seen that. And like, wait, you haven't seen it? Whoa! Let, let me go back and give you the sales pitch for why you need to watch this show. It's amazing. It's hilarious, or that. But here's the problem, and and you, if you've seen Stranger Things, you'll understand my problem. It's really, I guess, strange. Is the right word? It's bizarre. Like to try to to encapsulate what this show is, what, it, why a person ought to watch it. You, you, you're saying bizarre things because it's kind of. It's contradictory things all at once. The story is at uh, one level this this story of, of friendships and youth that is carefree and riding their bikes around town in the 80s and it's nostalgic and it's fun and we're developing these beautiful friendships and there's horrible, horrific creatures that are trying to hunt and kill them and there's parallel dimensions and there's government conspiracies and and. You see the problem there, right? It's like what, what, what is it, right? It's a, a mixture, a hodgepodge of 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 um, genres, of of ways of telling story, of elements. I try to look up like what is like the genre that TV critics call it, and it, I don't even, I can't even remember what it was. It was like eight different words long, right? As we come to this first little bit in John, we come to to what is often called the, the prologue. It's the, the beginning, it's the nutshell, it's the, the overview. And, and John tries uh, to, to give us a glimpse, a hint of the story that he's telling, the big picture, the summary. But it's kind of like Stranger Things in that it, it's hard to explain concisely. It's hard to, to, to regurgitate or to nutshell what it is that he's saying because there is a lived reality of two very different dramas that will play out over the oncoming chapters. There's two very different kinds of stories, two different storylines that is at work in the gospel of John through our very lives today. There is a story, an understanding of the gospel of John that is, uh, it's a tragedy. You can't concise it any other way it's a it's a story that that is sad and that ends sad because the story of jesus doesn't make it to the people they don't understand they don't see they don't experience then there's another way of seeing and hearing the story a story that when it meets its mark brings what john says he intends to bring and that is life that we would be a people who believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we would have life in his name. And So we'll go through this story and we'll recount and we'll see these two different genres. These two different stories that are at work at the same time in this narrative. And it'll set us up as we continue to process just who this man was, Jesus, as he walked on our earth. The first, uh, I'm calling a, a, a tragedy, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not really a literature scholar, so you, you can tell me if I'm misusing this category wrong, right? But when I hear the word tragedy, I think immediately of being uh, in sophomore year or freshman year literature class and, and being forced to read Romeo and Juliet, Okay, this is uh, this is uh, the category of tragedy in my mind. It's basically anything that ends with a sad ending. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but we'll we'll pretend it is for right now. And 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 what I see in Romeo and Juliet is this this story. And and by the way, uh, this is I guess a spoiler warning. Do you have to give spoiler warnings for a four hundred year old story? I, I hope not. But this is. They both die at the end, okay? Romeo and Juliet, they fall in love. They want to be together, but their families have pulled them apart. And, and Juliet, in, in the course of time, she, she comes up with a plan, a plan for them to be together where she fakes her own death, but she fakes it a little too well. And Romeo, discovering what he thinks is her dead body, can't handle the thought of life without her. And so the very thing that he wants the most to be with Juliet. The thing he wants the most is to be with Juliet, and so he decides to take his own life so that if he can't be with her in life, perhaps he could be with her in death. But of course, that's the problem, right? The one thing he wants is to be with Juliet, but the thing he does, taking his own life, is the one thing that takes that away from him. He wants to be with Juliet, and so he takes his own life. But when he does so, he removes the possibility that they could ever really be together. As we come to John, John starts with this glorious and this cosmic explanation of the world, right? It's it's language that sounds just bizarre to to the modern ear if you're not familiar with it, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. It's this this Greek word called logos, which translated means word, right? But it means more than word and and particularly for for John and, and for the, the, read, the readers of this text who are saturated with a different variation of this same story, and it goes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is always by the voice, by the word of God that God acts on the world. It is the voice, the message, The logos of God that that when he speaks and he says, let there be light, that there is light. When he says, let there be land, that there is land, right? Throughout the Old Testament, God's manifestation, his action in the world always comes by his voice, by his message. You can think of the prophets, right? And what would they say? They say, the word of the Lord has come right this was done by the word of the lord if you read the psalms you'll hear that phrase repeated over and over and over again because there's a very particular claim on reality that the hebrews believed and that was that god made the world and that he was involved right that he was there that he was acting that he was taking this little dump of dirt and he was bringing it somewhere that he was doing something and so as we come to John we find that this action of God is culminated it's it's at one level personified but that's not even true it's like a literary device that has become real it's it's the action of God has become a tangible human person that God himself is going to act in the world in the flesh on earth that God was playing out what he always intended for man, life. In him was life, and his life was the light of man. You see, from the very first pages of Scripture to the very last pages of Scripture, God's greatest desire, his actions in the world are all centered around humans experiencing life. Life as it was meant to be, not just a breathing, but, but a flourishing, but a, an eternal life, as we will come to find out in the Gospel of John. A life that is lived and can only be lived with him. At the same time, we, we come across a people, right? And, and we're spoken of here in the most generic of terms, that his life was the light of men. John's making a claim that it is the life of Christ which gives us light. It's the life of Christ which gives us life. And isn't that the one thing that we've always wanted? As we go through the Gospel of John, we'll see Jesus, and and we'll see him come across people from all different stages and and regions and walks of life. We'll see him uh, come to, to... uh, women who who have a reputation. We'll see him come to to Pharisees and to the rulers. We'll come to to people um, who are grieving. We'll come to people who are obsessed with money. We'll come to to people who who are doing everything they can to fit in with the group that they think is the group, the powers that be. And each and every one of those interactions Jesus will come and he will redefine what the good life is what the full life is to those people because we know that they're trying to find life because they want so desperately to be right to be known or they want so desperately to find life that and they're they're convinced that they can find it in in pleasure or they can find it in good fortune or in wealth, or from being a part of a group of people, right? That I can be an Israelite, and that gives me meaning, that gives me purpose, that gives me fullness. But as they try so hard, and as we try so hard to find the good life in things, we're doing the same thing as Romeo. We're after the the one thing, the only thing that we've ever really wanted was the life as it was meant to live. And so we try to find it by by the mannequins of, of wealth or power or relationship or reputation. But in each of these situations, Jesus will come into their life and he will say, The one thing you're looking for can only be found in me. And for a lot of these people, they will respond the same way uh, that you respond if someone turns on the lights in the middle of the night, right? You're a creature of the light, but when someone turns on the light, when the light of Jesus' life comes on you, you wince and you gather and you're staggered and you're confused, right? And you think, I don't want the light. And these are the people that John tells us, In verses 10 and 11 the tragedy and the tragic Jesus was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not know him they saw him as a a light a disruption that was painful that they must get away from if they were to find life but when they turned him away they turned life itself away the world Um, He came into his own, but his own people did not receive him. We read the story of John, and there will be a repeated theme, and we will see over and over and over again folks who make the decision to turn away from the light because they think that light is bringing them harm when that light is bringing them life. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way, and we can see that right here in the next chapter, but to all who did receive him, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born of God. The second story, the second way this drama plays out in real life, in time, in space, and one is is to is a tragedy, but in the other, it's a, it's a romance, it's a love story. It is the opposite. If if the tragedy is that the one thing you ever you only the only thing you ever wanted is taken away, the one thing you can't find, then the romance is the thing you fear you could never have. ...is the very thing that's given to you. The thing you think that you could never find is given to you. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we all have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The one thing that you fear you will never have is the one thing that can be found in Him. I don't know. Uh, I'm on a I'm on a movie illustration train here this morning. Um, did you all see the movie Instant Family that came out last year? It's this story with Mark Wahlberg and. Uh, um, I can't remember that girl's name, but she's a famous actress as well. And and it's a story of these of this couple that decides to enter into foster care to to be providers. And and through the story, they come and they take in three siblings into their home: an older an oldest daughter who is uh, in her teenage teen years, and then two little elementary school siblings that were hers. And these kids come from, from heartache, they come from poverty, they come from being passed around from foster care to foster care to foster care home, right? They come from a place of, of deeply feeling their need of love, a deeply need, feeling their need for stability, a deeply feeling their, their need for a home to be accepted, to be welcomed. To be shown grace after grace after grace, where their every misdeed is not marked, but every moment is marked by love. That's what they need, and it's as clear as day. But without going into too much detail, the storyline continues, grows, and, and the crisis point. The great climax of the movie comes as in a courtroom as they are weighing and they are wrestling with the, the permanent custody of these children. And that teenage girl, the girl in her most vulnerable and weak estate, the girl who most desperately needs to know that she is loved, she gives a statement to the court bashing these foster care parents, these these people who have loved her and and she takes every misdeed that they have done and she tries as hard as she can to influence the court's opinion so that they would take her away from that safe and loving and life-filled home and send her back into a life of of confusion and, and rotating households. She tries to even go back uh, to, to her mother's home But even to other foster homes She desperately does what she can to reject To get away from this light You see the question as we, we enter into the, the, her story Is not will her parents Why will these foster parents accept her It's will she accept them when we look at this group of people, these people who don't experience the gospel of Jesus as a tragedy, but one of a romance, of a love story, the thing that sets them apart in verse 12 is this. That to all who did receive him and who believed in his name. It is those people who believed him and and received him. The people who who looked at this opportunity to be welcomed into a family, to be welcomed in as children, that they received exactly that. I kind of think about what does it mean to believe in him? What does it mean to receive him? And I'm not so sure that it's too far off from what that girl Lizzie experienced as she processed this new home, this home that was opened up to her. The question is, will she accept them? Will she welcome the change and the upheaval? Will she welcome the fact that she has been brought into a new home? Will she receive their love? You notice as 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 John describes these people, as he describes their experience of Christ, and they're they're stunning and 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 taken aback by the glory of God, and filled with fullness and grace upon grace and grace and truth. They experience this tremendous and and magical embracing of love. See, the Gospel of John is written that we might understand what real life is. Now, if you're not a believer, that can sound awfully uh, egotistical, right? But the claims of the scripture is that this is the story of our experience, and the story of our experience, the story that describes our experience, the story that makes sense of our experience could be true whether we embrace it or not. And so John paints for us a picture, and he will continue to paint for us a picture of a Jesus that offers you the choice, a place, a home, a place that can be disorienting, a place that can be confusing, like the the home, the foster home was for Lizzie. But it is a place that she was meant to be. This will move us in a, in a number of ways, but I want to point out just one of them. A lot of times when we talk about the gospel or when you hear folks um, sharing the story of Jesus, and when you hear words like um, to, re- to receive him or to believe in his name, we process that through a, a purely or, or a merely, I might say, intellectual grid such that you might hear someone uh, say something like this. Well, I I know who Jesus is. I get it. I know him. I got it all all down. I got it all packed, right? What I need is is to just to to really believe it more. What I need is 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 a little bit more dedication. What I need is is to quote be on fire for Christ. But you notice when you look at the gospel of John. When John describes what this life looks like. It's not to challenge or, or to, to, to deny that there is an experiential change that we feel from moment to moment in life with Christ. But notice the passivity. Notice the, the belonging that these children experience. That it is grace upon grace it is glory upon glory it is freely and purely given to them because this difference between those who for whom this is a tragedy and the difference between them and the people for whom this is their love story has to do with do they are they with this Christ not near him. There will be hundreds who are near him, who will be influenced by him, who will, who will undoubtedly go out and try to, to fake it, try to pretend it, try to uh, make others believe that they uh, understand it. But it's not a life that's lived beca- by proximity. It's a life that's lived because you are part of a family. And so they will go through life, and it is not the kind of flourishing that we will envision. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity all the time. These will be people who encounter sorrow and pain and fierce persecution, but they will do so as people who know, first and foremost, that they are loved. That they are accepted. And that they have a life that has been given to them, not manufactured by them. As we as a church read through this gospel, we're going to come again and again to the question of this. At the end of the day, the story of Jesus is meant to have a reaction in you, in your life, in our life, in our city's life. The story of Jesus is not merely a story, it is a a lived reality. If we're to believe the Bible, it is the cosmic reality of our entire universe. And so we will respond either by shirking away from the light that is turned on or by understanding that this light is our life. And so over and over and over again, we will be asked... What brings life? Is it the thing that you think brings life? Or is it Christ? My prayer for you this morning and the prayer for my heart this morning is that we would understand just how loved, just how safe, just how embraced we are by the love of Christ that we might see the light as what it really is, our very hope. And our very life for eternity to come. Pray with me. God, we come to you this morning as children. As people who can be confused and turned upside down of what is really good for us. What is really good for our world. God, we pray that as we look at the words of of the evangelist John, Lord, that we would see you as you are, as the giver of life, as the giver of hope, as the giver of peace, as the giver of the life that is to come. Lord, I pray that we would taste it, that we would see it, Lord, that we would welcome and receive your love and your care and your steadfastness this in Jesus' name. Amen.